and welcome to another episode of We Are Not Wizards. It's Christmas time, which means I'm going to give you a present and a half this evening, or this afternoon, or this morning, depending on when you're deciding to listen, because after all it's your podcast, because I have a gentleman who... He's a he's a stalwart of the industry. He's uh, he's he's known as um, well. Polyhedron Collider reference him an awful lot in their podcast. It is, it is, and we'll get into that in a minute. He is the one, the only of gaming rules. It's Mister Paul Grogan. So yes. stand stand up. So hello, Paul. That is an introduction and a half. I thought you were going to say, but we couldn't get him on the show, so we've got Paul Grogan instead. <laughs> <laughs> Which is the normal introduction that, no, I, that I get. Can't, can't, Ian no. Livingstone was busy tonight, so uh, instead, <laughs> exactly. we, we have the next nah. best thing. Now, Isaac Childress sent his resta- restraining order after the last previous podcast. I've continually <laughs> slagged him off for uh, doing nothing but ruining my show. I haven't forgotten, Isaac. Um, things will be evened out in due course. But um, for people who haven't listened to the show before, Thank you for joining us. Uh, the reason that we do this is because we wholeheartedly do not believe there is enough podcasts out there about <laughs> board gaming. There's only <laughs> Except, four million. So. No, there's no. There's def, I've def, definitely checked. There's only about three of us in Scotland. There's, oh right, okay. Uh, there's us. There's the unlucky frog gaming, and there's also a belief first player marker. So we're double checking. Apart from that, iTunes is bare as a cupboard. Okay. Um, so what we do is we thought we'd invite somebody who's involved in a board gaming podcast. Yeah. <laughs> and a whole load of other things. Because you've got a lot going on. You're a very, very busy chap. Or you mm-hmm. become more and more busy as time goes on. Um, but what we do like to do is we like to find out a little bit about your history. Yes. This is kind of like the... Michael Parkinson look back on your career. Not this right. over. <laughs> Dun, 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 dun. And then bring out the big red book. Well, yeah. it's interesting because I, I meet a lot of people that are, you know, at conventions that are playing games and a, a lot of them have become friends of mine and everything else. And they've been into gaming for three, four, five years. Yeah. And I'm like, all oh, right. Okay. So, yeah, maybe I have been around longer than whatever the average is, if there's an average. But I just consider myself to be just, you know, a regular gamer. But as yeah. every year goes on, that's another year older that I am, and that's another year that I have experience of, of the board game hobby. Um, so, yeah, I mean, my, my, my history with board gaming goes right back to when I was a kid. So when I was a kid, I'm an only child. I have memories of being a kid at home playing Mousetrap, Spy Ring, things mm-hmm. like that, on my own, just, just sat there playing them. Um, it's one of the few sort of memories I have. Now... Obviously, most of us sort of played kids' games when we were kids. Yeah. But at the time, I, I loved them. I was really into it, and um, obviously that set myself up for where things were going to go in future. Now, it all kind of started around 82 properly, which is when the fighting fantasy novels came out, and I was yeah. really into fantasy and sci-fi as a kid. Um, so, of course, that, that was a no-brainer. That led on to basic Dungeons and Dragons when we had basic and advanced. That led on to advanced, and that then led on to Games Workshop. So in the early eighties, when Games Workshop existed, they were a, a game shop that sold games, not just their own games, but they sold all Everything. kinds of games. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And they started doing board games, 
and uh, a guy who lived um, near where I was, uh, near where I was at the time, which is up in Lancashire, um, a place called Thornton Cleveley's near Blackpool. Uh-huh. Um, he ran a stationery shop. And that station, because he played role-playing games as well, that stationery shop had a section where they sold board games. So when Games Workshop started doing board games in the early 80s, like Railway Rivals and and things like that, some good ones, Warrior Knights, whatever, that's when I started getting into board gaming. But role-playing was always my main thing. And it was for for most of my time growing up and for many, many years afterwards. Um, And then in the 90s, I got into Magic the Gathering. And then I got... More is into Magic your, the Gathering. Is that your dark page? Yeah, and then I got, I got more into Magic the Gathering until right. it got to about 97 or 98, somewhere around then. That's all I did. Everything how many, else how, had stopped. How many, how many cards did you have? Oh, I've no idea. Thousands. Because I was, I was a completionist. I was a collector as well as a I thought, as I thought a player, you had actually so. said, and it ended right up until I got 97 or 98,000 cards. No, I, I, I don't know. <laughs> I've no idea. But I got so into it that it, it took over everything else and I was playing it every weekend, driving around the country. Yeah. Um I I'm you know, I became a DCI level three judge, which at the time was the highest level that you could get to. I helped run Pro Tours, I helped judge the nationals, I ran pre releases back in the day when pre releases were I think I can run one that was 140 people or something like that. And now pre releases are like twenty people at a shop. Um, I, I took part in the Nationals as a, as a player. I was never amazing at Magic, but I was good enough mm. to, to, to qualify for the Nationals a couple of times. Anyway, Magic took, completely took over, and I stopped doing pretty much everything else. Why did you drop it? Um, because I realised I wasn't enjoying it. It got to the point where I'd mm. taken, I was taking it too seriously. I'd go along to my local club, yeah. and I was living in Coventry at the time, and I'd go along to my local Tuesday night club... And we'd play draft, and I'd win one and lose two, and then I'd go home and I'd be really annoyed with myself, and I'd be worried about my ranking, and I'd yeah. be worried about this, and I'd be really, really, you know, I got too into it. I got too seriously into it and took it too seriously, and at the end of the day, I'm just not as good as as I wanted to be with it. And eventually, I realised it was taking over my life, and it it was just I didn't want to do it. And thankfully, the local club that I used to go to every week in Hemel Hempstead, which was the aptly named Hemel Games Club, was kind of 75% magic players. Yeah. And then there was a group of guys in the corner that played these board games. And they played these board games every week. And the rest of us all played magic. So where there was, there was maybe 15, 20 people who, who would play magic every week, there was like four or five of them playing board games in, in one corner. Yeah. Because they didn't play magic. So... When it came the time when I was going to give up magic, I just popped over to see what they were doing. And that's when it all started. So it wasn't a jump, it was more of a shuffle. It, it was. <laughs> I mean, as I say, I mean, I, I, I grew up playing those games. And in the, in the late 80s, early, north, early 90s, yeah. there was a guy who was part of our games club, which was predominantly a role-playing club, who introduced me to games like 1830, Acquire, Civilization, History of the World, all of those old... Uh, Merchants of Venus, all of those old Avalon Hill classic games that we had back then. So this is pre-Settlers, this is pre-El Grande, it's pre-all of that lot. It's the older games, but the games with meat in them. And so I played them and I I enjoyed them, but role-playing game was always my my main focus. Anyway, so when I gave up Magic and the role-playing for me had kind of dropped off a bit, 
the board gaming was um, a sidestep over, and then it was like, oh, there's there's all of this. Oh, and there's all of this. And then I don't do things by half, so of course I got seriously into it. Um, and that just got more and more and more. Um, you know, I, I started going to Essen in 99, and I've been every, every year since. Um, I went to a lot of UK conventions. You know, I went to the very first UK Games Expo and things like that. And, yeah. and then as time went on, I started realising, or I started wanting to offer to do things for other people. So it started that I'd, I'd be on Board Game Geek answering rules questions. And, you know, yeah. I'd, I'd take out my time and just help and answer rules questions. And a lot of people do that. And then I'd start creating player aids. And then I'd start going into games which have rule books that are not particularly great. And I'd start coming up with... I'd create FAQs and, and things like that. You know, I'd start just dabbling and, and doing little bits here and there, which lots and lots of people do that. But looking back, that was kind of the precursor to where I've ended up now. And I, I think without doing all of that then, that showed the kind of person that I was and the kind of personality that I had about the things that I want to do. Yeah. So... I got more and more into doing it, and then I started doing it on a kind of official basis for companies. It wasn't paid for, because I, I had a well-paid IT job. I was an IT manager, and I was happy with that. Mm -hmm. And I was doing all of this stuff on the side, and I was very passionate about it. And when you're passionate about something, and you get the opportunity to do it, you're like, yeah, I'll do that, because it's great. You know, you're, you're effectively working for free, but you don't care, because, you know, you're just, you're just happy to do it. Yeah. And Czech Games Edition was one of my favorite publishers ever since they started in in 2006 with through the ages and then galaxy trucker and dungeon lords and all of them i was like wow these are amazing games i love these games and they're a publisher that made great games great quality components good price not overpriced the customer support was great and gradually i got to know them basically by turning up every essen and pestering them and you know basically saying, please, please be my friend, I'm a, I'm a massive fan of yours. <laughs> I was just, just a fanboy, really. Yeah. But then I started saying, look, if you need any help with running, doing demos of your games in the UK and things like this, and they were like, oh, yeah, yeah, we might do that. Yeah. And then they, they sent me a prototype of one, and I started playing it. And, and you know, that, that was how it all started. Um, is my, my involvement in a professional capacity started with me just being a fanboy. Um and then progressed all the way through to just me offering to do more and more and then helping with rule books and then helping with everything else. Um, so yeah, so all of that started happening and that, that all takes a lot of time, but you know, as I say, I had the job and I was doing it as it was a hobby and it was fine. And then yeah. eventually on one of the days when I was meeting with the, the team from Czech Games Edition, because I, I, I go over there and, and see them once a year or twice a year uh, where we, we go through all of the new games that they're working on and we play test them and everything else. And I sat down with them and they said, look, all of this stuff that you do for us, all of this playtesting, this help with rules, the, all of this stuff on BGG do, and the fact that you're going to UK events and you're demoing our games for us at yeah. these events, we can't let you carry on doing it like this. This is not fair on you. Yeah, yeah we want to start paying you properly for the work that you do. And I was like, oh. <laughs> really? 
I was like, oh, oh, okay, if, if you want to. I said, well, how's this going to work then? You know, and, and we just agreed that they'd pay me a certain amount per hour because I, I wouldn't know whether I'd be working, you know, one hour or 10 hours or yeah, whatever. Yeah, so the yeah. hourly rate seemed to work best. And all of a sudden, I'm now getting paid for doing what I do. Um, so that was the first step. And then my life kind of turned a bit upside down. My job started not working out. Yeah. And I realized that I couldn't carry on doing that job. And then I thought, well, hang on a minute. I wonder if there's a possibility that the stuff that I do for check games, I might be able to do for others as well if they're interested. So it, it was a lot of planning and it was a lot of risk. And I had to make sure that I had the financial security behind me because for all I know, I could have given up my job and then gaming rules would have just not worked out or I would have been working one day a week. It yeah. might, uh, you know, n nobody, nobody that I know does what I do. And I don't mean that, that sound big headed, but what I do is, is, is quite unusual with the variety of work that I do. So it was a bit of a risk, um, but I, I did it. And it's been, it's coming up for three years now, full time. And, that's, a, that's a big, um, and yeah, that's a big culture change, isn't it? I mean, well, working from home is a big culture change. <laughs> <laughs> not get, not getting dressed some days is a big culture. You know, it's um, yeah, it's it's unusual. So so gaming rules is now a successful UK company, which is which is me at home on my own. I'm not short of work. I haven't had a holiday in four years. And it, the amount of work that's coming in is more than I'm able to cope with. But I am cheap. I am very cheap. Um, and that's, <laughs> that's part of the problem. Um, of, that's what Steve Tudor whispered to me. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I've undervalued myself quite a lot, um, it, it turns out. But, uh, you know, that, that, that's, for me to, uh, that's for me to sort out. So, yeah, my day-to-day my, my -day is now writing scripts for videos, filming and editing videos, uh, writing and editing rule books. Uh, and then I'll do all the other stuff. So I've got, I've got my own podcast. I've got um, my other content that I create, which is not paid for, but I do that myself because that's the kind of stuff that I, I want to do. Um, and on the side, I'm also involved in game development. I'm not just creating the videos and editing rule books. I'm actually involved in these games quite a lot as well sometimes in, in terms of um, the development work that goes on in, in the mm. games and everything else. And... I've got the convention work, so lots of people in the UK will have probably seen me at various conventions doing demos at events. I yeah. think next year I'm going to, I think, it's 15 or 16 conventions, which are all... But, yeah, but I suppose it doesn't capacity. matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if you're, kind of, if you're not doing a day-to-day -day job. Do you know what I mean? You'll be doing your, your own day-to-day -day job, but you'll have control over your time. You can say, well, if I'm doing the weekend here at the expo, then... I can you can easily kind of rearrange your time into other things yeah. as well. Yeah, I mean, you sensible said... people would would say, right, I'm working at the weekend, so I'm going to take a couple of days off and sort my <laughs> life out. I don't. I get back from Expo and eight o'clock on a Monday morning, I'm I'm deep in a rule book again. So, but that that's down to my own personal mismanagement of my time. But yes, so there you go. Um... That was quite long, but that's 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 the history. That's fine. It's going to be. We're going to do Michael Parkinson. Go. I'll go and step in back a bit, <laughs> and let's talk about Essen. Yes. <laughs> I mean, you said well. You went there. You know, before the turn of the century. <laughs> I, I yeah. 
let's not think about you know this is when you look back and you go yeah 1999 that was eight years ago and then somebody reminds you it's 20 years ago no 20 years ago has there been i mean have i take it you must have seen quite a big shift in s in itself how it's portrayed the number of people that were kind of the type of people that have been involved yeah since those days, yeah. I mean, I mean, have you have you noticed the kind of the more of the influx of kind of like UK designers, even American designers, and things like that as you've been kind of going on, you know, all this time? Oh yeah, I mean, back then, if I can remember, it was predominantly <laughs> German-based Field. companies. It was predominantly fields. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember this, but it was all fields. It was not fields. Yeah, it was predominantly German-based menu, and and the way it worked. So the first yeah. five or six years that we went, yeah, it was basically you'd try and get as many rule books as you can beforehand, and you'd try to read through them because you either got a demo of a game from somebody who spoke brilliant English and didn't know the game at all, yeah, or knew the game and didn't really speak any English. So either way, you came back from Essen being taught the game completely incorrectly. So getting the rule books beforehand was was a very and I'm, and I'm generalising here, but that that was our experience. Um, getting the rule books beforehand was was an important thing. I mean, sometimes English versions of the game didn't come out. I mean, even going as recent as Agricola, Agricola when it first came out was in German only. There was no yeah. English version of it, so there was no English rule book. There was no English cards or anything like that. Well, that's you wouldn't have that now, but back in 99 whatever that that was quite a common thing it was it was trickier whereas now you're right it's a lot more international um there is a lot more publishers from other european countries not just uk and america but no. it, it it's now a big thing um and it, it's grown over the over the years it, it has grown and it's growing again next year um although this year there were problems with the with the facilities, so I don't quite know what they're, what they're going to do next year. It, um, there were there were some problems, so if it oh, grows okay. again, then yeah. I don't quite know what they're going to do. Um, what were the issues? What were the issues that you? Well, there was a just... half hour wait to get to the toilet. It oh, was just, there. Yeah. Just there wasn't enough toilet facilities for that. Mi- yes, it was crowded. It's always crowded. I, yeah. I, you know, and and the people who say the crowds are a problem, the crowds are a problem at most of these events. It was the fact that there wasn't enough because they'd expanded, so they'd gone into more halls. So there was more space, so yeah. there's more exhibitors, so there could be more people, but the facilities there were not able to cope with the number of people. So me with my 45 minute break or whatever between one thing and the next was like, exactly. right, I'm, I'm going to dash over there. Oh, there's a massive queue, and literally exactly. you're waiting 20 to 25 minutes. So, um, Anyway. Quick pee, quick pee, then I'll get something to uh, and, eat, and then back. <laughs> yeah. So enough about the toilet facilities at Essen. As a, as a, <laughs> yeah, as a thing to go to. I, I go every year, and the first year I came back from Essen, I said to myself, I'm going there every year until I die. That that's the 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 the, the ultimatum that I set for myself, just because it was that good and that amazing. Now, is it is it an eye opener? I mean, if somebody said to you, you know. I'm thinking about Gen Con, I'm thinking about the UK Expo, yeah. I'm thinking about Essen, which one do I save up for first to go to first? Com- I mean, yeah, depends where you are. If you're in the UK, the UK one. 
Yeah. If you're in America, Gen Con, and if you're in Europe, Essen. Um, I, I would, if you're in the UK, I would strongly recommend going to UK Games Expo rather than Essen. Right. But Essen's amazing. Essen, Essen is... <laughs> I was going to say that. Well, it depends what you want. If you want to go somewhere where there is... I have no idea how many people went to Essen this year, but it's the sheer number of new games that get released. Whereas UK Games Expo, three, four, maybe... It's not a big release date for publishers. Essen is, Essen always has been, Gen Con as well for America. Um, so if you want to go around and get literally the, the latest games that have probably just come off the printer a week or two before, yeah, and you want to see 700 new games, then Essen is the place to go. I'm not saying don't go to Essen just because you live in the UK. If that's what you want, great. But yeah. Essen is a different experience. It's halls full of exhibitors and traders. There's no open gaming. If you want open gaming, don't go to Essen. Yeah. If, if you want to go and play games with your friends at, in an open gaming area, don't go to Essen. The people who say you can't play games at Essen are wrong. Yeah. You can. Most of the booths, most of the exhibitors' booths, have demo tables where you can play. Uh -huh. Yes, all of those tables will be busy when you walk round, you have to hang around. You look at the round tracker on the game and you go, oh, they're on round six. Right, let, <laughs> let, let's hang around this table. And it's that's like what you do. It's like putting your 20 pence down on the pool on table. On the pool table, exactly. That's what you do. So when I wasn't working at Essen, we would play three or four different games a day at, at the exhibitors' booths. Yeah. So it, it is possible to play games at Essen. But at six o'clock or seven o'clock now, the exhibitor hall closes you leave the venue, and then you're in the middle of South Essen, and you're like, oh, right, where, where, what do we do now? Oh, we'll go for a bite to eat, and then we'll go back to the hotel and play a game in the room. Whereas UK Games Expo is like, I don't think it's 24 hours, but maybe it is, but you've got the open gaming area, it's you've got seminars, close, yeah. you've, got, you've got everything. You've got so much going on at UK Games Expo, you know, morning, afternoon, and night. There's the, yeah, there's so much there. So yeah, all of the conventions have a different feel to them. Do you um do you you always see? I mean, you see the Essen Hall, you see the Gen Con Hall, you see the pictures of the the Games Expo pile of shame. Yeah. With you doing more kind of demoing and stuff like that, do you still have a chance to go out and pick up a pile of games, or do you have to? kind of hold it back a bit and do you, are you more selective in what you pick up or do you still go back and say hey 50 for the shelf here we go there's a, well there's a few questions there the first thing I'm going to say is this was the first year yeah. that I went to Essen and I actually went I travelled on the Monday so I was I arrived in Essen on the Monday night uh -huh. I had the whole of Tuesday to have various meetings with people and work on a few secret projects that I'm working on that I can't talk about then Wednesday was setup day, which is where Bloody games I, designer. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Wednesday was setup day for a lot of the companies, although Tuesday was as well. So yeah. I spent Wednesday having meetings with, uh, well, not yeah, unofficial meetings with various clients and everything else. And then worked Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. I didn't play a single game at this year's Essen on any of the days I was there, including any of the evenings. All of my evenings were taken up with business-related meetings, apart from yeah. one of them, which was a social evening out. 
didn't play a single game. It's the first year I've been to Essen and not played a single game. So that that was unusual. How, how did you feel about that? Um, I mean, if you come to terms, I, did that yeah, just feel about. Strange? It felt strange, but to be honest, the meetings that I was having in the evening were more mm. important than me playing a game. So I felt like I missed out a bit. Yeah. But what I was there for and the things that I were doing were more important to me at the time. So it was like, okay, that's fine. And when I get back, I'll I'll play some games. Now, in terms of me picking up games... Yeah, that's, that's the different thing. That, yeah, that happens that. On, on the Tuesday and the Wednesday and occasionally in an afternoon. So this year I wasn't working full-time for CGE. I had the afternoons... I had like three or four hours off each afternoon to myself. Oh, that's all right, yeah. And, and and that's at the point where I went around and, you know, did did my trades or did my discussions with people. Yeah. But I did yeah. a lot of that on the Wednesday as well. Um, so during setup day, yeah, yeah I, I picked up quite a lot of titles and, and brought them back to the hotel. So, yeah. And I, I will still have games from this year's Essen, which I won't have got played just before next year's Essen. It's, <laughs> it's just, there's too many, too many games. So you're a pile. You are. You 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 admit you you have a pile of shame like everybody else. I do. Um, prior to this year's Essen, my okay. pile of shame was probably five games, probably about five. Right. Okay. Right now, it's probably twenty-five. That's actually not bad. Yeah, I mean, it's it's only a month after Essen or whatever. So yeah. Um, but I I have played quite a lot of them for Messen, but some of them I've played. I, I had my fifth game of Agra on Monday night. So it's either fourth or fifth. I can't remember now. Um, fifth. So yeah, I've played that five times. I, I could have played five different games, but I'm playing that one a lot at the moment. So yeah. Is that what's kind of taken up your time or is there any other games that you have seen that you kind of want to get your hands on or you'd like to get to the table but you don't have a copy or is yes. there something that's on the, the wish list you yeah know? i mean there's there's a number of games um so i i want to play the new stefan furled uh michael Raynet game merlin which mm-hmm. i i have a copy of i'm a massive stefan feld fan lots of people have said this game is meh and a few people have said oh, oh no actually it, it, it's good i need to play it to see for myself um I picked up the new edition of Wildcatters. That's high on my list to play. Um, So yeah, there's a few that I brought back with me, which I really do want to play. There's also a few which I didn't bring back with me, which I do want to play. Um, That, you know, I've heard, because there were 800 new games being released at Essen. So I can't bring them all back and friends of mine can't bring them all back. So there's loads of games out there. Heaven and Ale, I've heard really good things about. Riverboats. I don't have it. My local friends don't have it. So when am I going to get a chance to play it? And should I be going out of my way to buy these games now or seek them out and play them when I've still got 20 games that I brought back with me from Essen? It's it's a dilemma that everybody has just because we have such a wide choice now of games available. And if you're a member of a gaming group, you will have access to so many games. Unless like your friend went to Essen and brought back three games and that's all you're playing, and then you don't have the problem, and that, that's okay. But generally speaking, most of us in the gaming community have the problem of too many games, not enough time. 
Do you think that's becoming a bigger issue? Because I, I mean, <clears throat> there is a shame pile. I have a shame pile. I think mm-hmm. most people have a shame pile. And it's a strange thing because, like video games, because video games drop in price, yes, kind of dramatically. So you can pick up a fifty-pound game or a forty-pound game eight months ago. You can now pick up in the Christmas sale, and they're doing it for like ten pounds or fifteen pounds. Yeah, board games still seem to have or hold a decent value. You do get one-off sales coming in. I mean, I have seen, you know, The Godfather. You've seen people advertising The Godfather at half price, for instance. Okay, um, I've seen. You know, by they generally kind of hold their price quite well, unless there's depends a, on a the game. A smash, exactly. Yeah, it depends on the game. If the game, I mean, you know, the thing with um, movies on DVD, you know, they're they're like fifteen pound when they come out. Yeah. Two months later, they're a fiver. You know, that things drop so quickly because the initial sales of that game, uh, of that of that DVD when it comes out. That's the that's the sweet spot. That's the the point where they've got to sell as many as they can. Well, that's the hype point, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, exactly. I mean, After a couple of months, people are not buying it anymore. And if it was still £15, two months later, people might not buy it anymore. And computer games also drop quite drastically after a period of time. Even if they're really good games, they'll just drop. Board games don't tend to do that unless the game has been overproduced or isn't very good. And therefore, they have people a, are not yeah. buying it. There's a tale. There's like, oh, there's games that you'll hear hype around when it's first come out, and then it'll go quiet again. Yeah. And then there'll be a massive amount of hype again. There's games like um, Anachrony yep. was one that seemed to kind of, yay, Anachrony, time travel, reverse resources, sounds yep. great, went quiet. And then all of a sudden, there was a quiet hum but coming is that, from different places. Is that and, the delay between the Kickstarter backers getting their copy and then it going to retail? Yeah, I think that's I think what it sometimes, is. I think sometimes it's that. I think sometimes that games also find a while to find their kind of their own, their own momentum. Yep. Sometimes as well. I think that um, you'll get games like say, I don't know, crack, um, you'll get games that will kind of bubble under for a while, and then people will actually say, "Well, I've eventually got round to playing this game, and I absolutely love it." Mm-hmm. And then kind of word kind of spreads that way. I think it's, but I don't think. I wouldn't expect to go and pick up, say, a copy of Anachrony for 20 quid now. No. In fact, I wouldn't go... And you probably never you will. Know, no. You know, because I wouldn't... You'll never see it for kind of that price. King Domino is always going to be about 15 quid. Yeah. It's, I, never, I don't think I'm ever going to see that for like 7 It's nope. never... I can never ever expect it to kind of get kind of discounted. Nope. And I'm wondering if that's weird. But going back to it, is there too many games going out at the moment? Are we at this point where... Yes. And I'm you saying know. that from a selfish point of view because I don't have enough time to play all the great games. So I mentioned Heaven and Ale. I've heard it's really good. I've heard Riverboat, which is really good. I've heard all of these are really good. Otis is supposed to be really good. I, I could list 20, 30 games now that I've heard in the last six months are really good and I'm yeah. not going to get a chance to play them. Well, that's bad. <laughs> that's happiness that I should have and I'm not having it <laughs> and I'm forced to play these, these great games that I've already got in my collection so it, it's, a, it's a first world problem kind of thing you know I'm really happy and I've got some amazing games here and I'm going to love playing them but yeah. oh, there's that over there I want that as well oh, and I want that and I want that one and it's like so yes there's too many for me selfishly because I want to play them all and I want to okay. have all of that fun is there too many because <sighs> Too many. 
Uh, it's, it's a difficult I, question to yeah. answer. Is it? I mean, it's not a word too many because there's always going to be. I mean, for instance, okay, the um, <clears throat> the fire and ice Kickstarter finished. Yeah. If funded, you know, reasonably well, people yeah. were like going, "Oh, Simon are finished because it didn't fund in the millions like they, you know, expected it to do yeah. and stuff like that." But there's still a massive audience that are going to be getting that game. Yeah. Is that a game I'm going to play? No. Right. Because it's just not my bag, you know. As yeah. I saw it, I was interested in it. Am I going to play it? It's not my bag, you know, that sort of thing. Anachrony, do I want to play that? Yes, I want to play it at right. some point. Am I going to play it at some point? Yeah, I probably am. I'm probably going to try and get hold of one. Is Does that mean that that's come out at the wrong time? Is there too many games? No, because I think... More choice is game... a good thing. Yes, absolutely. And I, also, I think that um, it's, it's strange because video games get measured on a scale where they seem to be universally either praised to high heaven, like, say, Super Mario Odyssey, where people are going, you know, I would marry it if I could. <laughs> and then, <clears throat> excuse me, and because apparently it's, you know, it's very, very good. But then on the other side of it, you get, like, sliding scales where people say, well, you know, Watch Dogs 2, that's not, it's, or it's, nah, it's rubbish, I don't like it that much. And some people say, well, it's okay. I've board games seem to be a strange situation where somebody can say, you know, what do you think of Warhammer Quest? I really, really like it because I can play it single player. I yep. don't like it. I think it's occasionally unbalanced. What do you think of Cry Havoc? Where it's okay until you get up to maybe a four or five player game and then you bring in the alien race and then they tend to dominate kind of thing. But you get different people who have different opinions and I'm wondering if that's maybe down to the fact that we're not really scoring games as well on a out of 10 or out of 100 points scale yet mm -hmm. that we're not trying to aggregate games into which is what is very good and what is very bad i mean can you compare could you put gloomhaven next to a sliding scale of say star saga or nope. quarter, quarter warhammer quest nope. or could you know could i put gloomhaven next to king domino well i could no, 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 King, no. King Domino is a very, a very good one. I, I, I don't think I could. I mean, I can give those two games a rating yeah. out of ten on how much I enjoy the game, how well I think it's designed, and how brilliant I think the game is. But I can't compare those two games because the no. target audience for those two games is so completely differently. Um, so yeah, going back, going back to what you were saying about um, ratings, I think what. I've noticed more and more, and this, this might be a false perception, but my perception of the situation over the last five years is that opinions of games tends to be more split now than it was back then. You're always going to get games where one person likes it and another person doesn't. You're always going to have that. And maybe now, just because board gaming is more popular, there's more people talking about it, the Facebook groups and social media, the discussions on it are going on more and more, that maybe it's just in my face more. But now we seem to have much more varied opinions on, on games. You know, take take the top 10 games on Board Game Geek at the moment. You will find people out there that rate these games one or two out of 10. And I'm not talking the trolls or whatever. I'm talking yeah, probably yeah. people that you know will rate some of those games very very low and say that the game's terrible and i'm like well how can you say the game's terrible it's really really good and board game geek it's had twenty five thousand ratings and it's aggregated them all together and the final score is 
9.3. So therefore, and they say, oh no, the ratings are nonsense. The ratings don't count. I think it's a two out of 10 game. And it just seems, seems weird. But even with friends of mine, even people I know, we will have games that are like uh, Uwe, Uwe Rosenberg's new game, Nutsford, as I'm now calling it. Um, it's like, <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, it's really, really good. And people go, oh, I played it once. It's awful. Yeah. And I'm like, well, it's clearly not awful. <laughs> it's just, it's just you don't like it. But all of a sudden, it, it's yeah. So yeah, I'm noticing more, more variety in, uh, or more. I don't know the word I'm looking for. But well, yes. is it maybe? A, is it maybe a case that? Um, and I think I mentioned this recently, but Meeple like us did an article about how board game reviews are trapped for a bit and being overly positive all the time. It was almost a case that you were. People were afraid to step in and say, actually, I don't like the way the mechanics work. I don't like the drafting mechanic of terraforming Mars. Mm-hmm. I don't like the components on it. I found it quite dull and mm-hmm. it was a runaway situation. And people were like, oh, you can't say that. That's terraforming Mars. You're like, you know. We, you we well, love that game. It's the best you know, game you ever. Well, you might as well punch your firstborn child in the face rather yeah. than say anything about it. Yeah. But I think in any medium, <clears throat> in any mass enjoyed medium, especially when there's more communication and groups are forming and people are talking more about stuff as thing goes on, there is going to be people that are going to stick their head above the parapet and say, actually, you know, I'm going to critique, you know, Hero Quest and say... It's the, the best game to, ever. <laughs> the role to move, you know, <laughs> is, you know, obviously the role to move is for the for the younger audience um, <clears throat> as the... Um, or the non-connoisseurs. The, <laughs> the non-connoisseurs, you know. Yeah. Everybody knows the role to move is rubbish. However, the fundamental, you know, the mechanics of the game are absolutely fantastic. But I think it's moving into a good place. I mean, people should be able to criticise something. Yes. I mean, I think, I hear it all the time in the video game space, because I still stay in contact with a lot of people that are involved in that space. And their argument constantly is, you are okay, it is okay to like something and to find fault with it yep. at the same time. And I think we're maybe starting to enter into that space with um, with board games, or I think people are quite happy to kind of put their put their thoughts out there and say, "Actually, I know you like it, but I have yeah. I kind of have some, I, I think some issues with it." I don't know whether we we are entering it now. I think we've always been there. It's just down to the people and the reviews that you watch. So yeah. um, you know, and if we if we pick if we pick the most popular reviewer, Tom Vassell, love him or hate him, the stuff that he does. It's honest. I mean, I, I don't go out of my way to watch uh, watch Tom's videos because I, I don't have time. But all <laughs> of the ones for games that I've been involved in, I watch. And when he talks about it, he talks about the rules and he tells you how it works and usually he gets it roughly right. Sometimes he gets it wrong. <laughs> and then he'll give you his opinion. Now, sometimes I agree with that opinion and sometimes I disagree with that opinion. But he's given his opinion... And he's being honest about it. And you can tell. I recently watched his review of Flam Rouge because somebody told me that he did a review of it and it wasn't a very good review. And I've recently played Flam Rouge and think it's absolutely fantastic. So I thought, ah, I wonder what Tom said about it. And he was like, oh, we all found it really boring. None of us were excited. We were just, uh, we just played cards and then we moved up. And I'm like were you playing a different game to us? Because I've played it three times now, and every time we've played it, the choosing which cards you use 
is very, very tactical and there's a little bit of bluffing and, oh, is he going to break? Oh, I don't know he's going to break. Yeah, and then yeah. the cards get you revealed and then you go, oh, no, you played a seven and I only played a four. Now, that might not sound exciting, but when you're a Euro gamer and you don't want to just roll dice for excitement, then... And, and, and the games of Flamme Rouge that I've played were really, really exciting. And it was fun and it was enjoyable and people were into it. And then you watch Tom's review and he was like, eh, we didn't really find it exciting. But, so whilst I disagreed with that one, he was giving his honest opinion about the game and it didn't work for them. And, and that's mm. absolutely fine. When I do my reviews and my recent one that I've just done, if anybody wants to go and watch it, is I've done a quick six or seven minute, I think it's a seven minute review of Agra which I really like. So there you go. You don't need to go and watch the video. But... Watch it anyway. Watch it anyway, because <laughs> there's about two minutes of me talking about the things that I don't like in the game. Yeah. So I'm not going to... It's it's almost impossible for me to go and do a video and say, right, the game's absolutely perfect. The rulebook was perfect. All the components are perfect. The gameplay is the best game I've ever played. Everybody who's played it has loved it. This is the best game ever. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen at all. There's always going to be something that I will find fault with. So if I was doing a review of Terraforming Mars, the component quality for the price is awful. Oh, I, Everybody yeah. seems to accept that. I think I even the people that like the game would accept mm. that the component quality is not great. Yeah. Um, the graphic design, the artwork, eh, it's okay. I've seen worse, but it could have been a bit better. The gameplay itself is really good. And loads and loads of people enjoy it. But yeah, if you're gonna be if you're gonna be critical about a game, make sure you've got your facts straight and you can be critical about things which uh, like component quality. Yeah, you you can kind of say, look, these this this cardboard is really thin. And it kind of is thin. So people will understand that. If you say the game's completely broken because it doesn't work because of this, and you're actually yeah. you're actually incorrect with what you're saying, and you're listing it as a negative point. That's when I that's when I have issues. Now there are some people out there who who go out of their way to be overly negative, thinking that it's a badge of honor, thinking I'm different because I'm going to be really negative about games, and everybody else is scared to do it. But look at me, I'm going to do it. And the, st and the way that they do it is horrendous. It's just, you know, I am going to say this because I know 99% of people are going to disagree with me. Right, okay, so you're putting yourself in the firing line and then you're going to sound like these people are your worst enemies and that they're, you know, they're not intelligent because they like something that you don't. And then the reasons that you give for not liking it are based on a false percent. It's just... Yeah, anyway. So, what am I doing? What am I ranting about? Um, yeah, reviews, being negative. As long as it's honest, it's fine, is what I'm saying. Being a real... Okay, two, two, two questions. Okay? Yes. Do you find that you get... Do you get people kind of saying, can I send you my game? Yes. To kind of a look over All it? All the time. Do you, are you, you know, is yeah. it a case that you're kind of like turning... turning down people left, right, and centre. Yes. Has there any games that you've kind of turned down that you now regret kind of not looking at? Oh. Um, not taking a squiz over or... It's hard to remember sometimes. I mean, I've done that. I've done it today three times. Right. So that's three today, which have been emails which I've gone back to and said, 
thank you very much, but no thank you. Now, yeah. some of them are, dear reviewer, we love your stuff. <laughs> We'd like to send you a copy of, your, of our game for review. It's going on yeah. Kickstarter in January. Uh, I don't do them. Right. <laughs> um, I don't I don't take generic emails. Um, yeah. I don't do reviews on request of publishers. I do reviews of games that I want to do reviews for and that my Patreon supporters will vote for when I get that system working. Um, so, yeah, so, so I go back to them with a note. Um, I got an email today from a guy who said, oh, me, my two friends have designed a game. They'd like you, they're going on Kickstarter in January. We like the rules videos that you do, and we'd like you to do a rules video for our game. And I had to say, yeah. thank you very much, but unfortunately I'm fully booked for pretty much the whole of 2018, so I, I won't be able to take on this work. You know, wish your friends good luck with their game. So there's that. That game might be the number one game of next year. For all I know, I've, I've no idea. I don't know anything about it. I've not been sent any name or anything like that. Yeah. Um, and then there was another one, which is for a game which is already out, but is having an expansion or like a, a new version of it or something, which is going on Kickstarter next year. And it was a really big, it was a really successful Kickstarter and it raised like 300 grand or something like that. And I looked at it yeah. and I was like, ooh, this looks quite nice, this. But... They wanted it. They wanted a video done by February or something. I said, "I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to be able to do this. I'm, I'm sorry, I, I won't be able to do it." So, you know, and that that might be one which is, yeah, I, I'd have liked to have done that. Um, but you, do you I, have to I, be I can't strict then. Are you having to be strict then? I mean, is that what you're finding? Is that? Oh yeah, yeah. And I, you, yeah. If I'm honest, I shouldn't be taking on any more work for next year. Yeah, I, but I am. You know, I should be limiting myself. Going back to what we were saying earlier on, I should be treating this like a job. I should be doing 40, 50 hours a week and I should be building in some vacation time or downtime or breaks. And, and I don't. I get a video offer. Oh, can you do a video for Clans of Caledonia? Oh, Clans of Caledonia? That's fantastic. I'm really looking forward to that game. Hell yeah, of course I'm going to do a video for that. So what if it means that, you know, I, I have to work every evening and every weekend for the next month just to catch up, but... Yeah. You know, um, so yeah, sometimes a game will come on, come along where, okay, I'm fully booked, but I'm going to squeeze this one in. Um, I'm doing yeah. one for, I think I'm allowed to say it. Yeah, I think I am now. Um, Tasty Minstrel Games are doing the, a new version of uh, Gentis or Gentis, however you want to pronounce yeah. it. That is a game yeah. I've had my eye on for a few months. A few people I know have said it's a fantastic game. And it's a game which I had my eye on as a player because I thought, this sounds really good. I don't know anybody who has it, but I really, really want to play this game. And then at BGGCon, I met up with Tasty Minstrel and they said, oh, we might need you to do a rules video earlier <laughs> than later. And I was like, okay, right. well, let me know as soon as you can. I says, but I am pretty fully booked for like December, January and February. Yeah. And then a week after I got back, they got in contact with me and they said, yeah, 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 right. We're now able to announce it. It is Gentis. We'd like you to do a rules video. It's oh, going to go on Kickstarter oh. in, in January. Can you have the video done by 12th of January? And I'm like, you're kidding me, right? <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> I did tell you. And I was like, right, so Christmas, do I really want to do anything for Christmas? Yeah, I'll make the Gentis video. That's what I'll do. So I'm going to squeeze that in because... It's a game which I'm personally really 
really interested in and really excited about. I'll, I'll be honest with you, and I, I hope that they're not listening to this, but if they were to say, Paul, we've got a new video going, we've got a new game going on Kickstarter in January, we'd like you to do the rules video. It, it, it's like Munchkin, but with flux and a bit of Monopoly. <laughs> I'll be like, yeah, sorry, I'm busy. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. John, John's, um, John D. Clare's been on the show. So right. Sure <laughs> I don't know. Well, I said I yes to Downfall. I, I, I said yes to doing the video for Downfall. Um, and that looks quite interesting. I've not played it, but I, it want, really well. I want to play it because of what I've, I've seen from it. The, the way that he's given people so many choices of what you can do on your turn with the way i don't know how much you know about it but but the way that oh, you yeah, can, no you came on and discussed the film yeah, so you, yeah you've so got, got the card X, drafting yeah. you've got the card drafting so you pass this hand of cards like like seven wonders but the fact that you've got your own reserve of two cards yeah so that if you is... get past a pile of rubbish that you're like well i don't want to do any of these but that action that i really want to do is in my reserve pile i'll do that one instead it's genius I just, I, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, you highlighted that during the actual chat that we had. He said, "This is, you know, it's it's one of the kind of the game changers of the game is being able to do that." And he says that an experienced player, that is the move that they'll do yes. eight times out of ten is to use the two cards that are in the, yeah. the reserve pile because they will build them up, yeah. and it's it's a surprise strategy. You that put you can use. that card that you want at some point in that round in that yeah. reserve pile, and then you get it out when you need it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's interesting. So yeah, I'm inter- Yeah, I'm interested to see how that um, how that turns out, and if you can get a hold of it, um, can after Kickstarter. Who is it you would drop? You know, you mentioned obviously Gentis, but is it a designer that if they phoned you, if they emailed you tomorrow or phoned you tomorrow and said, oh, Paul, could you? Would you? Is there a designer you'd instantly be like, "Yep, there's a no few." Worries, okay. There is a few. And it, it's it's mainly ones that you probably know that I was going to say already. So um, uh, I had done, I had planned, yeah, in January to do a lot of work for Vital Lacerda's new game. All I, right, okay. I had most of January booked out already for him, and then he called me the week before Essen and said, "I've got some bad news." And I thought, "Oh dear, what what's this?" And he was like, "Escape plan's been delayed. It's not going to be ready for January." I'm like. I'm like, oh, right, because I've already kind of turned down other work for January and I've left this free for you. And he was like, yeah, I'm really sorry. There's nothing we can do about it. And I'm like, oh, okay. Within two days, I'd filled my whole January. Because on the Tuesday of Essen, one of the people that I was meeting to talk about secret stuff with, with yeah. was um, some guy called Isaac Childress. Oh. <laughs> and he went, yeah, I should be able to get you the founders of Gloomhaven first pre-production copy in January. So can you do a video for it then? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> I said, it just so happens that I'm free in January. Now, I don't think he's going to get it to me in time. So, yeah. I think it, mm, I think he will. You I think? think um, yeah, maybe. It's I mean, been don't... printed tr- in China. It's not gone to the printers yet. So, yeah. I don't know. I c- I don't, I'm not going to, you know. But anyway, my, my like work has know. to be flexible. So... I'd left the whole of month of January free for Vittal. Now I'm gonna, not going to do that. It's been filled up now with three other clients. One of them is Isaac. Mm. I don't think I'm going to get Founders of Gloomhaven in January. But what that means is I've got to bring 
forward some work that I'd planned for February forward, which I can't always do. You know, my work is is scheduled around when people get me the stuff. If the stuff's not available, I can't do my bit. Um, But that means then bumping that work until it does arrive, which then has a knock-on effect of all the other work. So, but yeah, Isaac's somebody who I would... I would definitely rearrange things for. I'm happy to say that I've done rules videos for, um, you know, both Gloomhaven and founders of Gloomhaven. Um, but yeah, there's, Damn there's, it. there's a lot. I was going to try and get, I was going to try and get through the chat without you mentioning it. Well, Gloomhaven. That's what, yeah. Contractually, <laughs> contractually obliged to mention it on, on every podcast that I'm on. That's what Andy Lewis had said. I think Steve Tudor had said on the latest episode of yeah. Polyhedron Collider. And for anybody like listening to... who thinks I'm being serious, I'm not being serious. It's a joke. <laughs> I, am, I do not get paid when I mention Gloomhaven. So. He does. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. Kitching. Yeah. The checks in the post. He'll send you a copy of Founders of Gloomhaven as payment. <laughs> No, um, but yeah, I mean, have there been kind of rules when you've got them through that you have just went, oh my goodness? I mean, is a bad rule book is it enough to turn you off getting a game that you've picked up at Essen or? Yeah, oh yeah, and I've been quite vocal about this. I think the phrase that I came up with last year or the year before is, I'm trying to remember what my own phrase is now. If a <laughs> if, if a publisher doesn't care enough to put effort into making a good rule book, then I don't care enough to play the game. I, I'm, so I, I, the 800 new games come out at Essen, I came back with, what, 40 of them, whatever. Yeah, yeah. If I get one of those games and I open it up and I go, oh, right, okay, presentation's nice, components are nice, graphic design, artwork's nice, I pick up the rule book, we start reading it, oh, yeah, 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 this is all well written, this is all well laid out, I'm able to understand this, yep, yeah, right, let's play it, brilliant. And then I get another one where I open it up and I go, oh, these components aren't quite good and that doesn't work right. And the artwork's yeah. not very good and graphic design's a bit iffy and you get the rule book and you're like, okay, well, I've read page one and I don't understand what's going on. I'm now on page two. I'm on page three. I'm like, okay, so for me to actually play this game, putting aside the cosmetic differences, for me to actually play it, we're either going to have to play it wrong because yeah. the rules are not clear or we're all going to have to pass the rule book between us and struggle to work out how we play it. Or we're going to have to go online and watch some video that's probably wrong as well. And all we're going to have to spend hours trawling board game geek. And and I'm like, why? Why why should I put my time and effort into doing that when there's all of these other games where the publisher has done that work for me and they've made a game that I can actually... You know, play straight out of the out of the box kind of thing. Um, so yeah, so that that's it, it. Does put me off playing a game, and there are some games we've tried to play, yeah. and then we've we've either given up because we can't get through the setup, or I've started reading the rule book and said, look, I'm not going to bother with this, and then the game's gone on a trade pile. Sometimes even before we've played it. Um, are there are there serial offenders? Yes. I mean, are there publishers? Oh yeah, that, yeah. And I'm know, not I'm not going to talk about them here because that would be unprofessional of me no. to talk about them but there are serial offenders there are certain publishers and if you have a comments on your podcast or <laughs> on whatever then people can write in with <coughs> companies that are out there that continually put out rule book after rule book after rule book that are not clear that i mean 
not containing typos or anything like that, but ones which you struggle to learn how to play from the rulebook. And I'm not talking just, you know, a couple of lines were a bit unclear. So when the rulebook for Feast for Odin came out, the rule yeah. about replenishing the mountain tiles at the end of the turn was a little unclear and could have been read both ways. And there was a couple of other bits as well. That's fine. A little bit of errata, which was issued the day after, whatever. I'm talking about yeah. rule books where you can't actually work out what you're supposed to be doing at all. And a few of them come out every year. Um, I'd heard this year that the rule book for Noria was not good. And we sat there and we played it from the rule book. And it was nowhere near as bad as I'd been led to believe. I, I'd, I'd been led to believe it was almost unplayable from the rule book. And it wasn't at all, so that was good. I've been told the Agra rulebook wasn't great, and I thought the Agra rulebook was was perfectly fine. Um, there, there was nothing in there that was that, that was bad about it. Um, it's a complex game, and I think sometimes there's a perception of, oh, this rulebook was terrible for a really complex game, and it's like, no, the rulebook's not terrible. It's just a really hard game to learn. Yeah. So and some, there is sometimes a you just have to get on and play it. Um, on the other side of it, yes. <clears throat> other, what about ones that you have went? Oh, you're so lovely. Mombasa, wanna... Mombasa, and Great Western Trail. Yeah. The rule books for those were both done by the same guy. I think it's William Niebling. Um, and they're both fantastic, and they're both complex games, and they're both heavy games, and the layout of the rule books, the presentation of the rule books. Some people are not going to like it, but for me, I was able to play those games after reading the rule book. Yeah. Every rule was in there. It was correct. I had no questions afterwards. Nothing happened in the game that was not covered in the rule book. And that's a big thing as well. And it was all there. And it, it, I, I found it relatively easy to find rules when we needed to look them up. So they were great rule books. Um, thankfully, the games are great as well. So, uh, yeah. Have you, have you ever got a rule wrong? Oh, all the Have time. Have you ever got... Oh, yeah, yeah. People think I'm this genius and I'm always getting it's rules right all the time. No, 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 no. I'm all, Yeah, always getting rules wrong. So the first time I played Great Western Trail, I played correctly because I was taught how to play, right? Yeah, yeah. The second time I played Great Western Trail was me teaching some other people how to play. And then the third and the fourth and the fifth... So the second, third, fourth and fifth, we were playing incorrectly. Because one of the rules of the game I'd forgotten from when I was taught how to play to when we played it. And we all really, really liked the game, but we felt that the balance was off. We felt that the station master tiles were way too powerful. Yeah. And I went back to the rule book and there it is in a big red box that says important. Whenever you take a station master tile, you must leave behind one of your workers. And we are like, oh my God. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Did folk just look at you and go, you're maybe the rule so, guy. Yeah, so I... Um, yeah, but yeah, I get rules wrong all the time. Um, so yeah, what? first time we played Agra, um, yeah. and I talked about this, I can't remember when, podcast or whatever. Um, we were playing it, it was nine o'clock at night, we started playing it, we learned from the rule book. <laughs> um, and it's a pretty heavy game, and we finished at 1.30 in the morning. But halfway through the game, we were browsing through the rule book because we weren't sure how something worked, so we went back to the rule book and it was like, Oh, wait a minute. You know, two hours ago when we were going through these rules and we said you could do this. You can. We've all for no, no, we, we've all forgotten it. Oh. We've all completely <laughs> forgotten 
that when somebody does an action, you can follow them. And we were like, oh my God, that would have sped things up so much yeah. because we would have been doing, yeah. So I, I don't mind playing games as long as the game's okay. It, it's fine. I mean, we, I played Knights of Fire on Sunday for the first time. I'm doing a rules video for it. It's going on Kickstarter in January. So I've got the prototype. I thought I'll play it once just to get a feel of how it plays to, um, you know, I'd already written the script, but I wanted to play it once, see if there was something important in the gameplay that I then wanted to go back and add to the script. So we played it. I then spoke to the designer afterwards and I was like, oh yeah, we felt it was a bit easy for the, for the Hungarians. And, you know, I know we've only played it once, but... And he said, oh, well, why is that? I said, well, late on in the game, I, I was able to do this. And I was, and he said, you do realise that the number of cards you get each turn drops as your morale drops? And I'm like, no. Uh. <laughs> I'd forgot because I didn't mention it in the video, because my video is a rules overview video. It's not a full yeah. rules video. It's just an overview. So I skip details like that for the script. And because I skipped it in the script, my brain forgot about it as well. So there was that. Uh, there were three rules we got wrong in the game on Sunday. But that's fine, because I now know that, and the next time mm -hmm. I play it, I won't get those rules wrong. And the last two games of Agra I've played, we haven't got any rules wrong. So those first couple of games, I don't mind writing them off as a learning game, and we're probably going to get a rule wrong. It's not a problem. I just, it's, part of the, it's part of the parcel of, of playing complex games. You ever thought about taking it to the next level and kind of... I mean, is there a couple of game designs that you've thought about or are you preferring to kind of look over what other people have created and kind of do what you're doing with the rules side of things? Well, technically speaking, I am a games designer. So on Board Game Geek, I'm a games designer because the last two Mage Knight expansions yeah. were co-designed by me and a friend of mine. Uh -huh. But okay. designing an expansion set for an already existing game is easy. And I'm using quotes in the air here, which you can see, obviously, because <laughs> this is a podcast. I, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. designing a brand new game from scratch is not yeah. easy. I mean, some people no. are good at it. And you look at them and you, might, and you must think, oh, how, how, how did Flardia come up with code names? That's so easy. Why, why didn't I do that? Why has nobody else done that? And it's like... Yeah, you know, why Why is it taken 20 years to get King Domino, which is now like the almost perfect gateway game? Yeah. Why is it taken this long when it's so simple? Why, why has somebody not done that before? So games design looks easy when you look at these games and you think, oh, I could have done that. But then you look at other more complicated games and you think, oh, okay, that's another. Well, yeah. like a lot of people, I am a wannabe games designer and I've been designing games since before I got into board games. So I've been designing games since I was like 14, 15. Scraps on, scribbly notes on bits of paper and never done anything with them. And I've had so many ideas over the years. This is a whole podcast in itself about all of the game ideas <laughs> that, that I've had because some of those ideas have become games. And if I was to tell you about the ideas that I've had and show you my scribbly notes from 10, 15 years ago, and then you look at some games now, you'd be like, you would think that somebody found those bits of paper in my garage, stole them, <laughs> photocopied stole them. them, returned them, and then designed a game based on my notes because they're so similar to some of the games that have actually 
come out. Um, a, a game that I've designed from scratch, there is only one that I've done to completion, and I finished it just over two years ago. Yeah. And then it got played at BGGCon, and it's, it's self-produced. I printed it off myself. So, um, <laughs> right, okay. So okay. I, but as far as I was concerned, the design was finished, the game was playable, it worked well enough that I could say, right, I, I've done it, I've designed a game. A few people played it, some people liked it, and some people said, yeah, I, it's okay, but it needs a bit of work. And the time and effort that I would have had to go into putting all of that extra work in to tweak it and refine it, it's, you know, and then what would I have done? I would have approached a publisher with it, maybe had it picked up, gone through months of more work, then it would have come yeah. out, it would have sold a bit, I'd have got 100 quid or whatever, and then that's it, it's done. So it's like, for me, I like what I do. I, I view myself more as a developer rather than a designer. Um, I have ideas for designs. I have ideas for themes of games, which I think would be great if somebody could just make a game out of it. And actually, I'm in discussion with a couple of designers about some of those themes because they've, they, they've said, oh, that sounds like a really cool idea for a game. And I said, well, I'm more than happy if you want to design it because I'm never going to. Um, yeah. But for me personally, a developer, I, I like when I'm sat with somebody like Vital Lacerda when I first played Lisboa three years ago, two and a half years ago, whenever it was. And then I said to him afterwards, I said, right, this bit here, I had no idea what was going on. This was so complex. I've been playing the game for three hours and I still don't understand how this bit works. And it was this really, really convoluted mechanism for a token that passed around the board clockwise but it was stood up, and then if it wasn't your turn, you could lay it down to do something. But then if you laid it down, you'd pass. It was really, really complicated, and I couldn't understand at all what, what it was doing. You know, and his yeah. games are already very, very complex. And I said, so what, what are you trying to achieve with this? And he said, well, I was trying to achieve a little bit of interaction when it wasn't your turn, and a little bit of shipping, and a little bit of this, and a bit of that. I said, well, why don't you just have a thing here that does that? And he went, oh, I'll try that. And then a week later, he contacts me and he said, yeah, I've tried that. That works. And that's now in the game. Uh, and it's like, I, I'm, I'm quite pleased with that. Um, there's, there's, there's bits of me in games. It's a games that I've worked on as developers that, you know, quite often I'm now at, an, I, I'm at one of the big conventions and I'm sat there at a table. I'm demoing Pulsar for four days at Essen. I was on the development team for Pulsar. So there's bits of me that's in that game. There's, there's bits of that game that I'm, I helped make happen. I'm not saying, you know, it was all me, but, but some of the <laughs> that things in that... Cool, so yeah, some of the things in that game, I was like arguing the toss over when, when the development team was going, oh, I don't think we should put this... In. And I was like, no, no, we really should because it's really, really good. And, and eventually, <laughs> I, you know, I won and that thing got put in the game and it's in the game and I'm quite happy it's in the game um, they're going to take it out in an expansion set but no I'm joking um, so, <laughs> second edition we, second edition we, we've removed Paul, this bit because Paul kept going Paul Grogan free <laughs> <laughs> so yeah I, I like 
I like my role as a developer in in some of the games which yeah. which have come out, and the the developers are often the unsung heroes. Um, and I'm not saying that just because I am one, but I've been I've been involved in a number of games where the designer's name on the box is 95% responsible for the game. Yeah. And I've been involved in games where the designer's name on the box is less than 50% responsible for the game. Mm. That's how it is. That's the reality. So when you look at a game and you look at the designer's name, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the designer's game. It could be that he just had some initial concepts and some initial ideas, and then the publisher got a team of developers involved, and then the developers ended up changing it sometimes to something that the designer doesn't necessarily like. That happens. And then other times, especially with Vittles games, although there's a bit of development that goes on, he's the final say in it. Vlarge's games, he's the final say on it. Um, so they, they are fully involved with the process from start to finish. I mean, Vittel does his own rule books and graphics and everything. You know, he's, he's so involved in it, it's, it's scary. But, you know, that, that's what he does. That, that's yeah, but you get some, some that want to put a stamp on it and then, um, you know, speaking to the likes of, say, John Gilmore, who says, well, I put together all the ideas, put together all the basic mechanics, and then it goes off and other people kind of, develop it Mm -hmm. for me and then you know i get a copy of the game just before it kind of comes out so he so he's in that position then he's saying that he once he's given the game over to a publisher is the development team will then work on it without him being involved yeah and the final game comes out with his name on the box and he's not had the final say on the game yeah Yeah, I'm, I'm, yeah. i'm glad you've you've said that because i i know it's true from my experience but I imagine a lot of people don't believe me when I say it. So to actually hear that a designer has admitted that that's what happens to him, then that's quite good. So, yeah, he says depend on the game. Some of the yeah. games he, you know, he was he he took he's taken all the way through to kind of completion. Other games, he's involved in it. But you know, they're sometimes they're the spark and the inspiration yes. and the idea and putting everything together. Yeah. So, and I think Kickstarter is a weird thing because often that entire process is kind of amalgamated together that the developer designer is always the kind of like the same person unless you're looking at a bigger team like say your steamforged games when like spoke to david carl and he's like i'm the i'm the developer here you know i got the i was given dark souls and i played around me and you know we had to put put the game together and, and once it was funded, kind of come up with all the different rule sets and everything like that as well. So it's a, They did that it's kind of a, after it was funded? Yeah, pretty much. You see, that, that doesn't surprise me based on their Kickstarter video for that game, which was a load of people at a video game fair talking about how cool a Dark Souls board game would be. <laughs> and I'm like, seriously? That, that That's your Kickstarter trailer for the board game? Is just a load of people at a video game fair saying that it would be a good idea? It, it, it might. I, I don't know. That I might not be true with that, but that's the impression I got from it. I think it's a mixture of you're looking at what a huge IP that people have invested yeah. three or 400 hours in it. So I think, you know, the, the idea, the concept of having that game even in some kind of existence was an excitement. Yes. And I think... That, I would not. Yeah. I would never have liked to have been in Dave 
Dave in Dave Carroll's shoes because he had to go out there and then deliver that, and that must have been a stressful situation. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, yeah, if you go on Kickstarter, especially if you've promised deadlines, and then yeah. you're like, oh, right, well, we better go. But this is the thing with Kickstarter, and this is a whole other podcast in itself. <laughs> it do, do you go to Kickstarter with, an, with a 100% finished product and all of the stretch goals, you've already done them. So you say stretch goal number one will throw in four new cards. You've already done the cards. You've already designed them. You've already done the artwork. Stretch goal number two, oh, we'll throw in eight new scenarios. You've already done them. So in other words, do you is the entire project 100% complete? And then if you didn't meet the stretch goals, well, you've wasted your time on your, whatever. Or do you go to Kickstarter with a mostly complete product and say, look, if we make these stretch goals, I, I will create this extra content for you but the base game's done. Or do you go to Kickstarter with, oh, I've got an idea for a game. Give me money. You know, where, where do you go on that scale? Because the third, the third option of give me money, I've got an idea for a game, will not fund. It just will, it no. will not work at all. The other end of the scale is you've gone on there with a 100% completed game. It can work. It, it can work extremely extremely well and it can raise five and a half million for example not naming any names but it can raise five and a half million where every day there's like oh well we've met this goal so let let's show you the next stretch goal and here's all of these pictures well hang on a minute yeah. if you've got the pictures yeah. Yeah. you've already done it you've already paid for the so there's that but they do very very well the one in the middle is the one which personally fits me, is like, right, I'm going to Kickstarter. Here's a game. I've got this game. Now, if it does really well, I'll design more stuff for you. But, of course, that design will take me extra time. I'll try to factor it in. But if this is really successful and you end up doubling the amount of content, then that's going to take me a while extra to, to do. Yeah, the, no, I've seen it. Yeah. We've had people on We've had people on the show. Um, Gloomhaven. Um, Ka-ching. Well, yeah. <laughs> So I'm Again. just adding another £50 to my, uh, to my Gloomhaven it's 50 box. £50 a shot? It's £50 every time I say oh the word Gloomhaven, yeah. £150, <laughs> that's it, you're <laughs> No, Carla Kopp from... Um, Carla Kopp, who was on the show to talk about uh, Stellar Leap. Yep. She was in the middle. She was like, I'll tell you what, this is my idea. I've got the base game, but I'd like to do more yep. stuff. In order to do more stuff, I need more money. Yep. So she did things like, we can now thicken up the car. Yeah. We can now add a fifth player scenario. We can do kind of X, Y, and Z. And yeah, I kind of, you're almost approaching kind of the argument where video games are really getting thrown over the fire at the moment, where they are basically taking a full game and almost removing kind of levels yes. and characters out of it and then serving it up as DLC, um, DLC or first day yeah. purchase content. Day and stuff one like DLC. That. And it's a, yeah, and it's a fine line between that and if you've developed a full board game, it's a fine line between people turn around and say, well, actually, if you've got this fully rendered, if you've got the model made, if you've got the rules already, if you've actually got the box designed and you know what the components are going to be, how much of that was already yeah. there? Well, there's there's, but that is- there's ways of doing it. There are, there are the stretch goals where they've already done it, but it is an extra. Yeah. And then there are the stretch goals where it's, obviously part of the base game but they've just removed it and made it a stretch goal in order to have stretch goals 
And there was one a couple of years ago, which I was involved in. I, I you oh, know, okay. so, and this wasn't my decision to do this. And it was pretty infamous for how this project went because it was a massive flop. And what they'd done is they, they'd taken out bits of the core game and made them stretch goals. And it was so blatantly obvious that they'd done that <laughs> to the point where the official rules video that told you how to play the game had all of this stuff in there. And then they went, oh no, that's not actually there. That's a stretch goal. And, and, and you're not going to get that. We're going to show you the pictures of what you'll get if we meet that stretch goal, but we can't show you the pictures of what you're going to get if we don't meet that stretch goal as a replacement because they haven't done it. So that was clearly false stretch goals. And it, it was so obvious and the backers responded and the Kickstarter didn't do very well. So yeah, Kickstarter's a, it, it, it's a minefield. It really is. And you, you can get it right and you can get it wrong. And sometimes you can do everything right and it flops. And then sometimes even the, the worst projects seem to do really, really well. I say the worst, that's, oh, that's yeah. my personal, uh, personal opinion on it. But yeah. No, I mean, we've seen, as I say, I keep saying all the time, you know, we've had some really uh, kind of miracles mm. happening. You know, Mark Neidlinger from Orange Nebula uh, with Epoch, you know, cancelled the project, went back, funded to six figures. You know, Dinogenics, um, same deal, you know, went away, cancelled, came back three three weeks later and then went on to fund. And he's just like, I have no yeah, idea why? what I did, <laughs> what I actually did. And I think it was just the time. And at the time he was up against some really kind of big, kind of big heavy hitters and they always kind of came down with the community. Um, <clears throat> in terms of kind of like, you've got a packed 2018, it sounds like. You've got your videos coming up. You've got, um, you're obviously there's going to be games that you're kind of being involved in. Mm -hmm. I mean, in terms of people keeping an eye on finding you on the interwebs, yes, we, if they want to find you, I'm everywhere. If you turn your computer on, there's a little <laughs> right. Paul Grogan button down in the bottom. <laughs> um, so I'm on Twitter. I thought, yeah. but Twitter is so temporary. You know, you'll post something to Twitter, and if you don't, if you're not on Twitter in that two minutes, yeah. you won't see it. So I'm on Twitter, but I'm not suggesting that Twitter is the best way of following me at all, unless you are sat there glued to Twitter all of the time. Um, again, Facebook, but with the way that the Facebook algorithms work, even I, who own the Gaming Rules Facebook page. Sometimes when I log in under my personal Facebook account, don't see my own gaming rules posts because Facebook's decided that I'm not interested in them anymore. So I'm on Facebook, but again, that's probably not the best way. Um, anybody who's on Board Game Geek. So Board Game Geek has a guild feature, which a lot of people yeah. don't know how to use. And in fact, I, did, <laughs> I didn't know how to use for, for years. But I'm on there. I post about stuff on there um, quite a bit. Um, and the advantage with the Board Game Geek Guild is that you can go on there whenever you want at your time and you will see stuff that I have posted. So that's, that's there. Now, the thing with the Board Game Geek Guild, for anybody who's listening, you need to join the guild, but then you need to subscribe. Now, you're not, oh, okay. not going to get bombarded with dozens and dozens of messages every day because my guild is maybe two or three messages a week. 
And you're not going to get, all you're going to get is when you log on to BoardGameGeek, you will get a red number in the top left to say you've got a notification. And then you click on it and it'll be my guild thread. So, you know, everybody who joins the guild should, should subscribe. I try to post every new video I do on there, but the YouTube channel is also another good place. So all of my rules videos, review videos, uh, my monthly Q&As that I've just started doing, I've just done the first one for December, and also my monthly video logs, which I've just started doing. So I'm now doing monthly video logs, monthly live Q&As. I've got my rules videos, I've got my reviews videos. They're all on the Gaming Rules YouTube channel, which is Gaming Rules Videos. So pop onto there and subscribe. And yes, do my podcast, you can get to it through iTunes, Stitcher, and an RSS feed. Um, but my podcasts are also on YouTube, because a number of people said they prefer using YouTube as the platform for everything so yeah yeah no we're the same we're the same and then obviously if people like your stuff and i'm going to shamelessly promote you but you you are on the patreons i am as well yeah so i launched my patreon in october after creating my patreon page a year before <laughs> so a lot of other people a lot of other content creators use patreon and I thought, well, hang on a minute. I'm a content creator as well. And although I get paid to do my rules videos, I don't get paid for any of my other content. And this is taking up a lot of time and it's costing money because I have to pay for, yeah. pay for hosting services and, and all of that. And I'm listening to all of these other podcasts and they're like, oh, sponsored by such and such a company and sponsored by this and sponsored by that and everything else. And I'm thinking, okay. And then they're they're doing their own crowdfunding, either through Kickstarter or Patreon or whatever. So I thought, right, I'll, I'm, I'm going to start my own because everybody else is doing it and, and why not? And then I thought, well, I don't really want to because I don't want anybody giving me any money for my rules videos because they're commissioned. They're commissioned, yeah. they're commissioned videos. The publishers have paid me to create the video. So if I was to get money from other people for the videos, that feels wrong. It feels just wrong to do that. Um, so I didn't want to do that. And then it was the whole, basically I, was, I had it going round and round in my head for a year with like, oh, do I do it? Do I don't do it? Oh, I've got bad feelings about it. Oh, but everybody else is doing it. And then eventually I got so annoyed and fed up with the fact that everybody else was doing it. Everybody else was doing really well and everybody else was launching ones all the time that I was like, why am I not doing it? What, why am this is so I was annoyed with myself for not doing it, and eventually I decided to do it, and I did it. So I went I, I went live on Patreon in October. Um, it's been reasonably successful. I mean, compared to some other people that have launched Patreons recently that are now making, you know, one and a half thousand dollars a month. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, mine mine's not quite that, um, <laughs> but. Um, I, I try to make it clear that people are paying for the extra content. And because of the Patreon, that's why I'm now doing the monthly video logs and I'm doing yeah. the monthly Q&As. I wouldn't have been able to do them before because what I'm having to do is I'm having to take time away from paid work yeah. in order to create that extra content. So I've actually worked it out that I'm losing money. So after launching my Patreon, it's actually been... Fina I'm financially worse off than I was before because the amount of time that I'm now spending creating all of the extra content is less than I'm actually getting in per month from the Patreon. But 
that's fine. I'm, I'm okay with that because this is content that I've been wanting to make, but I couldn't justify doing it before. And every time I did my podcast, I was thinking, I've turned down rulebook editing work to do this podcast. And I spend six hours sometimes editing a podcast. And I'm like, that's almost a day's work mm. that I've lost yeah. because I've done this. Yeah. And I felt stupid and I felt like an idiot. Now, I don't feel that anymore. Every bit of content that I now produce for my channel, I think somebody has paid me to do this. So it, it yeah. takes away that that massive negative feeling that I had about what I was doing is taken that away. So yes, I, I went live on Patreon. And then of course, Patreon announced earlier on this month that they're completely changing the way that their charging model works. Everybody hates it. I've lost 10% of my backers already. Um, and I'm probably going to lose more. They've changed their back. I know. About an hour ago, two hours ago, I saw it. <laughs> So they've changed it back. Well, they, yeah, they never actually changed it. It was coming into effect on the 18th or the end of the month. Yeah. And oh, the yeah, more and more much. I read about it, I was like, it's not so much the fees and it's not so much the charging, but the way that they were changing it so that it started charging people from the month where they start, from the day they started donating. I'm like, well, that's not going to work for me because I create an end credit scene. So 1st of December, I went online and Patreon, at the moment, charges everybody on the first of the month. So it's nice and easy. The first of the month is when it charges everybody. So on the first of the month, I go on and I download the Patreon report for December to say, who has paid me money for December? Yeah. And then I put all of those names into their credits, into the credit scene. I save that as end credit sequence, December 2017. And I use that on all of my content for the whole of December. Yeah. Brilliant. Now, what they were proposing is that if you start backing me on the 21st of December, you will get charged on the 21st of December. What that means is, on the 21st of December, I need to do a new end credit scene. Because you've started paying me from that point, therefore no. you are eligible to have your name on the credits. And then on the 22nd, when Dave from next door, he starts supporting me, I've got to edit the end credit sequence again. So... It would have been a complete... That's just one of the problems with their new model. Um, so, yeah, as of a few hours ago, they've apologised. They've said, we're not going to do it, and we're now looking yeah. at other options. And I'm like... We'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. I, I don't know whether I'll get any of those backers back because the damage to the Patreon brand has been done. However, if you are now completely put off by Patreon because of these changes that they're making and have decided that you... Because, you know, the people that I know have not had any new backers in the last couple of weeks. Um, so if it was putting you off and you are considering backing, then go on, everything's back as normal. Um, <laughs> but I am still I am still looking at a way of doing um, annual contributions. Because oh, okay. the way that Patreon works is that you pay a fee every time you pay. So if you pay me a, a dollar a month, you're paying a dollar 35. Well, that, that's not. And then you pay VAT on top of it because you're in the UK. Yeah. So you end up paying, you know, 50% more. It's, it's crazy. Whereas if you would say, look, Paul, I want to give you a dollar a month, but I don't want to give you a dollar a month. Can I just give you $12? Yeah. There are other platforms out there which allow you to do that. Um, and then you just pay the processing fee once. 
So I'm, I'm looking into it. There's one called Pod Pledge that I'm looking at doing. Seen that the guys at Unlucky Frog Gaming, right? We're looking, we're look, talking about that. So as well. I'm looking there's at that, but there's Ko-Fi. there's a Ko-Fi as well. Yeah, I've heard of that. And Kickstarter are launching one called Drip, which is only invite only at the moment. But another another lot of people do PayPal donations. A lot of, of people say, look, if you want to if you want to just donate directly, here's the PayPal address. And if you use friends and family, there's no charges. So you could give me. $10 or $15 and you could send it to me and there would be no processing fees. There'd be no VAT. There'd be no, mm-hmm. there'd be no PayPal charges. There'd be no credit card charges. That'd be absolutely fantastic. But of course I, I need a way of, of tracking that to make sure that you get back the thing, yeah. you know, the, the equivalent of the patron level that you get that back. So I have early access for my, for, for some backers at a certain level and above, they get early access. And Patreon, the way that it works is, is great in that I can compose a post in Patreon and say, oh, I've got a new video, it's here, enjoy it, etc., etc." And I say, right, send this to all backers of this level yeah. and then two days later, send it to everybody else. And Patreon does yeah. that, it's fantastic. Well, let, let's say you decide to give me the same level as that backer level on a yearly basis and you send it by a PayPal. How am I now going to send you that early access message? So, yeah, no, I, so I've, I've got that to work out. And at the moment I haven't got the mental capacity to work out how I'm going to handle that. So <laughs> I'm looking at something, but you can always just leave 50 quid in a brown envelope at the end of my road. That, that works. But you could just say Gloomhaven in the mirror three times. <laughs> just... <laughs> <laughs> And that'll be that'll be you sorted. Yeah, just invite me on the podcast. I mean, I've got 150 quid for saying Gloomhaven. Oh no, 200 quid now. There so you I've got 200 quid just by being on your podcast. This is fantastic. So if anybody else wants to have me on their podcast, <laughs> oh for goodness sake, revenue stream. Yes. Um, if you want to keep an eye on what we're up, I don't know how to follow that. Um, just go to Google, search we're not wizards. Yeah, you will find us on Twitter. You will find us on Facebook. You will find us on. YouTube. You'll find us on YouTube because our lovely host Podbean automatically put our podcast on YouTube within 15 minutes. What else have you got on your YouTube channel? Is it just just the the podcast? podcast. Right. I don't think I'm subscribed to you, so I'm going to go and do that right now. So you you use Podbean? Yes. And that puts it straight onto YouTube? It puts it straight onto YouTube, much to the annoyance of Mr. Paddy Stardust, who was on the show a couple of episodes back because he renders his in Microsoft Movie Maker. Um, <laughs> we are also on the usual uh, podcast channels, Spreaker and Stitcher and Acast and Podknife. And as we always say, if you do like what you've heard tonight, and there's no reason why you shouldn't because Mr. Paul Grogan has been a fabulous guest, please consider jumping onto Apple Podcasts and leaving us a rating or dropping us a subscription. If you decide to take it to the next level and drop us a review, remember, don't give us 10 stars, because that makes us big-headed. But on the other side, don't give us one, because that'll make us cry. <laughs> give us a, give us something in the middle, like five, because it's average. I thought it was up in to five stars. <laughs> Don't you've just ruined the joke oh, again? I've ruined the joke. Sorry, edit this <laughs> just out. Just ruined it. Edit this out. No, I, I'm not going to edit. That. You don't do <laughs> editing. Uh, you got to tell me about these things beforehand. 
No, we don't do that. We don't do show notes either. You might have noticed. Um, oh, I see. You, you're getting people to rate you in the middle and telling them to rate you five stars. I get it. That's yeah. There you go. Right. Okay. Sorry for spoiling that's, that. It's, that's it's fine. It gets spoiled every single episode. Guaranteed. <laughs> every single. T- but it only goes up to five. Brilliant. Yes, I know. So that's the running joke, um, is it? Okay. Yeah. It is. Yeah, because it's five. <laughs> it's in the middle. It's average, and we're decidedly average. Right. Um, um, but the. Pe- <laughs> The person who's not been average tonight, who's made himself two hundred quid, lucky man, is the rather uh, the rather wonderful, the rather fantastic, um, Mr. Paul. Thank Golden. you very much. Listen, thank you very very much for coming. It's on. been fun. It's, it's been fun chatting. So I, I know this is going out, but I just feel that I've just been, you know, chatting away with you. That's um, yeah. It's it's kind of cool. You know, you made some money and you got to have a little chat. <laughs> <laughs> Time for some ice cream, I think. And then get this Absolutely. next video finished. Oh. Absolutely. Now, there's only two more things to do. The first thing is to remember that we are many things, but we're not wizards. Are we wizards, Paul? Nope. Absolutely not. We are going through the finer details with a tooth comb and picking up the bits where you should have rolled a five instead of rolling a six, or adding a token when you should have added two. Or checking where you should have a big red box that has re- the words important in it. Um, and the second thing, I guess we should better say goodbye. So again, it's goodbye from the man of the hour, Mr. Paul Grogan. Say goodbye, Paul. Goodbye, Paul. Every single time everybody does I that. I know, it's well. not even funny, is it? <laughs> it's not even, it's not even everybody does funny. it on my show, so I thought, well, I'll, I'll give something yeah, back. Why not? And it's a goodbye from me. Remember, stay safe, roll sixes. Um, we will be putting all of the links that Paul has given us in the show notes so that we have notes to show. Um, his videos are very informative and definitely worth a watch. He's definitely worth a subscribe. Jump on his podcast as well. He did an excellent little kind of mini interviews about people that he met at Dragon Meet, including... Mark Cook, you also spoke to Caesar mm-hmm. as well. You also spoke to Katie. Yep. Um, and nice Chris little interview as well from Medifius, who, who runs well, Dragon yeah. Meat. So it was a nice little interview. So check that out, and obviously subscribe to Paul's podcast for more. Um, but I guess until the next time, goodbye. Say goodbye, Paul. Goodbye. <laughs> and I didn't do it. You didn't do it. that's no. good.